So as Ross mentioned, you know, we're wet, but here's the, the good news of it. You know, like I, I'm not so worried about being wet because now you all just attribute that to the baptism and not me sweating, so it's kind of nice. <laughs> so, hey, it's, it's great to be together, man. This is, I, I'm so excited about uh, our time together this morning. We're wrapping up this series on reasonable doubts, and so whether this is your first time or not, we, we've spent the last three weeks kind of looking at, at reasonable doubts, some questions that we have, and, and how do we use God's Word to reconcile those things. So here's what I want to make sure that you, you understand, whether you are, are here with us or joining us online. Um, we covered this series in three weeks, not because there's only three reasonable doubts that you can have. <laughs> Right? There, there's so much that, that we can wrestle with, and, and really the, the, the heart of, of this whole series is we've kind of looked at some of these big question marks, is, is this, is the, the thing that we want you to grasp. God is big enough to, to handle our questions. Our faith doesn't have to be without like any, any questions or, or not quite sure how to make sense of things. God can handle our questions. We can take our questions to him. He, we have his word. We can wrestle through his word. And, and that's what we want to do is, is look to God's word and help use it to help us understand what God's teaching us and what he says. And we want to be people of faith who wrestle with our doubts. And so here's what we're going to do today as we kind of wrap up this series. The question that we're dealing with today is about creation. How do we reconcile what God says about creation with everything we hear and see around us? We looked at last, last week looking at the Bible and, and, and see that it, and we, we believe that the Bible is God's word. And so as it has things to say about the created world around us, what, how do we make sense of that with the things around us? And this, this topic in particular is really something that I'm passionate about. I love talking about creation. I love talking about the natural world. It, it's something that forever has interested me. I, I love being outdoors. It, it's, I mean, aside from God brought me here, but really I moved to Iowa because of science, right? Which sounds weird because I left the mountains to come to the Midwest for science, which sounds weird. But I, I came, I went to school to study uh, science. I, I got a degree in environmental limnology, right? Hydrogeology, I, I love groundwater. Like, I love learning about it, right? I've forgotten most of it. But that was the thing that interested me. I love geology. I love studying the created world around me. And, and we, I, I kind of came into college with this, this fear or this misunderstanding because throughout my entire college career, I felt like I was on enemy turf. And it's because I understood that there's this war between faith and science. And, and I bought into this idea, this, this false war between faith and science that the two can't work together. And yes, there are people who try to use science to disprove anything about God. They, they use science and, and try to reason away God. And I'm not talking about that. But in general, we buy into this idea that faith and science don't mix. And they're at war with one another. That's a lie. You see, because a lot of people, I think, it, as we kind of talk about this, we have to recognize that there's three primary views that people have of God. And the, the first one is that, that God just doesn't exist. There is no God. And so as we approach the, the scientific world, we, we try to understand the natural world around us. We, they do so with 
no view of God. God's not there, so everything is just on its own. It, it happens by chance. It happens by, or you know, all of that. But, but their view is approached through there's no God. The second primary view that, that people would hold is that, that, that God made everything and then just left it. Right? He's like a, a watchmaker who, who creates something, sets in place, and then just leaves. And, it's just, and so all of creation is just operating out according to the laws that God set in place, and, and he has nothing to do with us. And the third view, and the, the view that I think we get from God's word, is that, that God made everything and that he is intimately involved with his creation. And as we read through the story of the Bible, we see that, that God didn't just create everything, but then throughout he's been, the, the, arc, the story arc of the Bible is God redeeming creation to himself. God intimately engaged with his creation. And so we have to recognize that as we approach the story of creation, we, we recognize where people are coming from, but it, it all falls under this, this piece where as a, as a person who believed that God's word was true and walking into a college environment where I felt like everything was against me, that, that how could I like this stuff because, because faith meant that I just had to believe what God said is true, but, but at the same time I, I, I love to, to wrestle and try to understand and, and dig into God's creation. And, and I saw those two at odds, and yet they aren't. Galileo once said, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with senses, reason, and intellect has intended us to forego their use. God made us with the ability to reason, the ability to question and think, and, and didn't create us with those gifts and those abilities to just not use them. In fact, as you go through the history of kind of the, the scientific discovery, those people of faith have been at the heart of so much of that. And it's not because we need God to understand science, but, but in the grasp of that, as I understand who God is, the desire to understand his created world has driven so much of research throughout the ages. And so this idea that there's this war that you can't love science and you can't be a follower of Jesus is, is a horrible thing to, to perpetuate, namely because as, as we understand, especially as kids are growing up and love to understand God's creation, we, we need to equip them with an ability to, to search out and research and learn with the things that God has given them about creation, about the world around us. But the question still remains, if we're to use logic and reasoning that God created with us with, and on the same and at the same time we're supposed to use the, the facts and, and all the things that we see in the natural world. How do we how do we reconcile those 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 things together, especially in light of some of, of the fantastic claims that we see in God's word? The things that seem to oppose reason and, and normal things. Right? Just a, a quick <laughs> Quick, brief view of, of some of God's word, right? We Looking in, at Moses and the people of, of Israel, they're leaving Egypt. What do they do? With an army behind them, they come to the Red Sea. And what's the Bible say? The Bible says that God parted the Red Sea and they crossed on dry land. 
keep following the people of Israel through their desert wandering, and, and God continued to break the laws of nature and the laws of science, raining down food for them in the wilderness, providing them with water whenever they needed it. Uh, they get tired of the man, and they complain to God, and he, he brings quail into the camp so they have meat. And when they go into the promised land, the Jordan River is stopped up at flood stage. You can skip further ahead. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sitting in a fiery furnace so hot that when the guards came to throw them in, they died. And yet when the three men come out of the fire, they don't even smell like smoke. Then we can just get to Jesus. Walking on water, raising people from the dead, you know, just minor things. Right, but how do, we, how do we mesh those claims, the stories of what the Bible says and we, we believe that God says is true with the world that we observe around us? And I think the problem that we often run into is that we, we're looking to the Bible to do something that, that it, it's not written to do. Right? We, we sometimes approach the Bible with our, our, our 21st century scientific mind and, and look at God's word and expect it to answer all the questions that we ask. How did this happen? Why did this happen? What did you do to make this happen? That's the way we think. And yet God's word was written to show us who God is. It's not a textbook that we read to understand. It's God's word to us. And we get to that, this problem right at the beginning, right? Genesis 1, we read the story of creation, and right off the bat, we're, we're faced with this challenge of like, well, how are we supposed to understand creation? Is, is Genesis 1 telling us literally, here's how, how God made the world in, in six literal days, speaking it into being, or, or, or how do we understand all the, the natural processes that we've now begun to understand about how things function. How do, we, how do those two things mesh together? And here's the, here's the thing. I know as I started to bring that up, some of you are like perched on the edge of your seat, like waiting for like, okay, here he's going to go. He's going to tell us exactly. He's going to affirm my view on things. Or you're like getting ready with tomatoes. Like, here he goes. Let's, let's get ready to pelt him, right? And, and here's, the, here's the, the sadness. That's not where we're going today. We're not, we're not, we're not here to debate young earth versus old earth. That's, that's not the point of creation. That's not the, the, the thing that God's trying to lay out. Now, before you get mad at me and think I'm just trying to, like, dodge controversy, like, I'll, I'll tell you what I believe. Like, I believe as we read God's word, I believe that God created the world just like he said it did. In six literal days, he made everything. Right? But I hold that belief firmly like this, with an open hand. Because guess what? I might be wrong, and that's all right. Now what I mean by that is, is this, this view of, of, of how exactly God created all of creation isn't the thing that I want to stake my faith in. It's, it's in what Jesus did for me. Now should we, as people of faith, should we have a view on how God created all of creation? Yes. Should that view be based in God's word and defended with his word? Yes. Should we utilize all of the logic and intellect and scientific discoveries that we have? Yes. To, to ignore those would be stupid.
But does having a right understanding of the exact way that creation played out matter for my salvation? No. It doesn't. Now, I think there's a lot that we can dig in. Again, we're, this isn't where we're going today, but you can wrestle with God's word, and there's a ton that can be learned. And can God break any rule that he wants to in creation? Absolutely, yes. Could he have created a world, an, an earth filled with ancient uh, fossils? And th- yes, he can do all. Like God, like to limit God is, is beyond dumb. But as we read through God's word, the the point isn't, here's how it happened. This isn't a textbook that we memorize the facts in. The purpose of God's word is to show us himself and to tell us his design for creation. That's what we talk about as a church. We we call this a, a minor topic. And as a church, we try to major on the major, minor on the minors. Here are the things that matter that, that are, that are, are the, the core doctrines that we want to defend. And here's all these other things that we should have opinions on, that we should wrestle with God's word to inform, but they aren't core and central to our faith. So let's get back to the, the question at hand, the one that we want to wrestle with today. What does the creation story tell us about God and about ourselves? Because I think as we re- understand God's word, it, it, it tells us who God is and it tells us who we are in relationship to him. So I want you to, if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, um, I didn't bother putting the page number on there because um, it's the first page, which is actually one of the hardest pages to turn to because there's like these other things in front of it too, but page 1, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, we're not going to read through the whole chapter, but I want you to, to hear this account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And continues on day after day for six days as God creates. He speaks into being all of creation and says that it was good. Now, as we read through this Genesis account, again, as, as someone who loves science, loves to learn about things and how they function, and, and I love to, to learn the story of the natural things, uh, each of these days of this account leave me wanting Right? It's vague, it doesn't explain how, it doesn't give the, the intricate details that my scientific mind likes to understand about what God is up to. It just says that God spoke and it was. When God spoke, was it just like everything bright and then he separated dark and, and light? How did, how, did, how did day and night, especially, wait, he didn't create the sun till like day three, I think? Right, like, so how is there light without the sun? Like, all of these questions that I want to know, how does this work? How do I make sense of it? But even though it, it leaves my, my brain wanting more, it gives me the overview and it, it shows the design and care that God has. And it shows his purpose in creation. And so here's some of the things that we can learn about God as we read through this story. The first thing and I think that, that, that's pretty clear is as we read the story of creation, we are reminded that God is all-powerful. 
As we read through Genesis 1, each day, man, with a word, he spoke and it came into being. God spoke and light was there. He spoke and dry land appeared. He spoke and the land was filled with every imaginable plant. God spoke and the sea was filled with life. He spoke and the sky was filled with birds. He spoke and the land was filled with all animals. At the very end of the week, he spoke and he, he, he created mankind. And he breathed into him the breath of life. God spoke and created everything. In comparison, I've been working on an extension to the chicken coop for the past month. <laughs> and it's not done yet. Right? But God speaks and it is. He's, he controls everything. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? God. And God alone. I mean, you think about it, like, I love to, to just imagine the, the natural world around me and, and to, to get a glimpse of it. This past weekend, Emily and I got to fly out to Washington to, to be at my nephew's wedding. And we went on some incredible hikes. But as we're on some of the places we get up to and just the looking out south from, from Spokane and you see the, the Palouse spread out before you in all the wheat fields. And then off to the left, you see the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And you look at that, and God knows the weight of each of those mountains. And I was out of breath climbing to the shortest part of the foothills. And you look out at the night sky, and, and just we, our brains can't comprehend the vastness of space, and yet God measures it with his hand. God is all-powerful. We can't comprehend him. But in, in light of that, like sometimes I, I think we can grasp that, right? God's all-powerful. I can believe that, right? And we can, we can be fearful of a God who's all-powerful, who with a breath or with a word could just snuff out life, right? We, we can be fearful of a God like that. We can comprehend that when we see the power of, of creation. We see the vastness of it. We can, we can start to grasp the greatness of God, but, but there's more to it than that. Because not only is he all-powerful, but he is in control. Right? And contrary to this view that God just created everything and let it be and set it in motion, God is actively engaged in his creation and he has never relinquished control. He is all-powerful. He is in control at all times. Again, we can go back through the stories in the, in the Bible. When God just parts the Red Sea, when God provides for his people, when he gives them what he needs. When, when, when Jesus, I, th I think of the story with Jesus in the boat with his disciples, the, the storm's raging. The disciples are terrified. They wake up Jesus, and with the word he speaks, and everything's calm. And the disciples' response is awe. Like, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? God didn't just create everything, but he is actively in control. But not only that, as you read in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes about how all of creation, that, that Christ is supreme in everything. That all creation is subject to him. 
So again, we can often grasp the greatness of God, and we can, we can wrestle with this idea that he's in control, and there's nothing outside of his power and authority. But the beauty of God's word is that it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just paint this picture of a God who's mighty and all-powerful and, and controlling everything. But, but here's the incredible thing. God cares about his creation. He cares about it. And just look at the order in, in this passage in Genesis 1 as, as, as God creates. What does he do? He, time and time again, he creates a space and then fills it. He creates dry ground. He creates all the plants that they have a place to be. And once he creates all this vegetation, all these perfect habitats, he fills it with life. And at the very end, he creates us. And he gives to us, he says, all, all of creation is for you. Hey, as you get in, this is where I have to be really careful because I could just geek out for a while here and talk about it. As we, we talk about the intricacies of creation, as you start to understand the way things work and the order in God's world and how things function. I mean, even just now, we can walk outside and see the beauty of, of, of new life sprouting up. As we, we see the way that, that, that each habitat, I mean, even just spending last weekend in eastern Washington and now coming back to the Midwest and, and how different and unique they are. And yet at the same time watching how these rivers are designed to, to channel all the, the melting snow away. And it's so different here, the Mississippi floods, and it's overflowing its banks and it's dangerous and scary looking. But at the same time you look at it, it's just there. And then to see the Spokane River, which is so much smaller and yet rushing with such a power that just the roar is incredible as you watch that water just tear through. And watching as God cares and the way he designs. I mean, and just think about the beauty of creation. Think about the way that, man, God, God cares about us so much that he made food taste so good. Right? He, he, he cares for all of those things, but not just that. But God designed us to be in relationship with him, for us to be in relationship with him. Again, as we look at the creation story, the, the, the pinnacle of creation, he creates man, and he breathes into him the breath of life. And then as you read through Genesis, God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, that he spent time with him. The whole story of the Bible is God's redemption plan to bring us back into right relationship with him. God cares about us. As we understand who God is through his word, we see as his heart breaks when, we're, when, when evil happens. Right? When, when we're sad, we know that God, those things tear God's heart as well. That's a very different picture of God than we often see. But we have a God who cares. But the creation story doesn't just tell us about God, it also tells us about ourselves. As we were just talking about, that we are the pinnacle of God's creation, that, that one of the truths about God's word that it tells for each of us is that we are designed and created with a purpose. That God made us for a purpose, to be in relationship with him. 
God made all of creation, but then he made, man, when you read the creation account, the, the, the creation story of how he made Adam and Eve is so different than the rest of creation. He, he intimately got involved in there. He formed them of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into them the breath of life. And he was in relationship with them. We are unique in all of creation. Ephesians 2.10 tells that we are his masterpiece. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Guys, the, the truth is we understand creation is that we know that God made us. We are not just some accident created by random chance. We were created by a loving God who designed us and has a purpose and a call for us each of us, and our purpose is to worship and glorify him. But more than that, we were made to know and glorify God, right? That, that purpose, we were made to know and glorify God. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 19. As the psalmist wrestles with this very truth. Let me read it. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We understand the purpose that we were made for. God made everything and he made us to glorify him. Look at the, the psalmist says that everything, everything was made and it was made to worship God and all of creation does it. The sky, even though the sky has no voice, never ceases to worship God. All of creation, the mountains, the fields, as, as you go outside and look, all of creation is declaring glory to God because that's what they were made to do, regardless of their inability to have a voice. And yet, we're different not different in the sense that we also were made to glorify God. That's what we were made to do. We're different in the sense that we have a choice. And often we choose not to. We choose to glorify ourselves. And so the psalmist writes, man, God, may, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. 
Right? That, that's the purpose we were made for. We were made to be in relationship with God and to worship him and bring glory to him in everything that we say and do. That is the purpose that we were made for. We were designed on purpose. We were made for a plan, and that purpose is to glorify God. That's my purpose. That's my calling. That is my mission in life is to glorify God. But there's, there's more to us. What, what else does God's word tell us about ourselves? This one, some of you may need to hear. I know I need to hear it quite often. Simply this. I'm not the center of the universe. All right? You're laughing because you know it's true of yourself too, right? All right? We need to be reminded of that. As we read the account of creation, we're reminded of the fact that God is creator. God is God. He is Lord over all. My purpose and my place is to bring glory to him, and yet so often I want it to be all about me. God just serves a role of taking care of me and providing what I need. Right? Often I take that approach. It's <laughs> such a horrible reproach, right? It's a horrible thing to, to go to God. It's like, God, serve me. And yet so often I do. And I think that's why the psalmist is, that first half of Psalm 19, he's just talking about, man, the heavens declare the glory of God. All of creation is doing what it's supposed to. And as I'm reminded of that, that God is God, what does that tell me? Look at what he says in the second half of the psalm. His law is perfect. His statutes are trustworthy. His precepts are right. His commands are radiant. The fear of the Lord is pure. His decrees are righteous. He has a, a correct view of creation as we wrestle with what that means. It, it puts God at the center of everything. It puts us in perspective. And we are not the center of the universe. In fact, we were made to bring glory and worship God. And we will. You guys hear that? All of creation will glorify God. We're given a choice. We can choose to glorify or one day we will worship God. All of creation will. So the question simply comes down to this. What should our response be? As we take our questions, our doubts about, about creation, like, God, what, what is your purpose? What is your plan? What is all this doing? Man, it should bring us back to this point of, as we understand what God's word says about creation, it tells us about who God is. And it tells us who we are in relationship to him. If anything, it, it should bring us to this point of like, man, God is the answer to all the questions I have. And I can bring my doubts. I can bring my concerns to him. I can wrestle with him. It's, God is an all-powerful creator of everything in control. He can handle my questions. He can handle my doubts. And I can bring my questions to him. So when we look at creation and see the perfect order and design of what God has made, when we reflect on the fact that he is still Lord of all, it affirms that his way is right. We're his creation. And therefore he is Lord whether we willingly submit or not. And so the beauty of all of this is is it tells us who we are and what our response is. Because creation shows us the unlimited, incomprehensible power of God. 
And it shows us the undeniable demand of all creation, which includes me, to worship him. But more incredibly, it shows us the unthinkable, that God loves me and desires for me to be in a relationship with him. And even in, in the midst of my sin, he chased after me. And he made a way through his death on the cross. And so our response really comes down to this. Man, we have the opportunity to live out the, <laughs> the ultimate joy of living out our purpose in relationship with our creator. Knowing what we were made for and who we were made for and living out a life in relationship with our maker. Right, we often talk about it. That's that, it's that, that ultimate joy of taking another step of obedience. We saw that day in baptism as people were like, hey, I want to proclaim that, that Jesus is my Lord. I've trusted him as my Savior, and I want to follow him. I want everybody to know. So I'm going to take another step of obedience. You know, I'm going to take another step of obedience as I learn to live in submission to God as my creator, as I learn to live in relationship with my maker. Man, there's joy in that. And that's, that's what we desire as a church is to follow after Jesus one step at a time, learning to submit our lives to his lordship and authority in our lives. And that's the joy of following Jesus. And it's not about us. It's all about him, and we want to bring him glory. As we wrap up our time together, we're going to close and worship. Will you guys all just stand with me? I'm going to pray as the band comes up and we're going to just close our time singing out our praise of God and what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, that you are in control, that you are all powerful, that God, that you can handle our questions and our doubts. God, and you've given us your word and you've given us uh, wisdom and knowledge. God, help us to understand more of who you are and, and more importantly with him, what, it, what it means for us to live in obedience to you. God, may we as your children be people who seek to, to follow you in obedience. One step at a time, whatever it is that you are asking us to do, that we would follow you and that we would bring you all the glory and all the honor that you alone deserve. God, we worship you today. 